All right, so don't have a title right now. It'll probably be a title for this later. I'm not good with titles for whatever reason. It always slips. Um, but we're going to be focusing on the pa- a passage of scripture coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And I'll read it and then we'll kind of talk a little bit about it. So <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12 reads, and this is the, the ESV version. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Um, And kind of there there are a couple other themes that come out of this but the main one that I'm touching on is that the suffering we face for Christ's sake brings glory to God for our sake and for the sake of others all right so the context of this um, passage and I guess this book in general of Second Corinthians, this is said to be Second Corinthians is said to be the third or fourth letter to the Corinthian church from Paul. And this is the church that Paul planted in Corinth. And in between uh, Paul planting the Corinthian church and writing Second Corinthians, there was a point where Paul learned that a bunch of issues popped up in that church causing confusion and opposition to his authority as an apostle. It's believed that the issues were caused by opponents of Paul that that came into the church or false apostles, excuse me, or or false apostles that he addresses in the letter of 2 Corinthians. Um, It's said that the attacks made against Paul and his authority as an apostle were uh, kind of because he wasn't a skilled speaker because he worked with his hands apparently that was looked down upon and also because of all the suffering that he experienced and learning that learning about this opposition that was coming up in the church Paul goes to the church to clear up the issues but when he went that time he was met by open rebellion against him and his message And he left that time suffering humiliation from the church he planted, rebelling against him. He later sent one of his brothers in Christ, Titus, back to the church with a tearful, quote, tearful and severe letter warning the church of God's judgment if they did not repent for this rebellion 
against the message that he was bringing to them. And Paul wrote this letter, 2 Corinthians, in anticipation, getting ready for another visit to the Corinthian church. Although most of the church, after that severe letter that he sent, repented, there was still some opposition to Paul and his message. All right? So that's kind of what's going on. That's the context of this um, letter. All right. Now let's uh, get back into these verses. All right. So verse seven, Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. So first off, what is this treasure that he's talking about? Paul is referring to the treasure of the new covenant, the gospel. Prior to this verse in earlier chapters, Paul had been explaining how the old covenant between God and Israel, the law given to Moses, he was explaining that it did have glory to it, but that the glory of the law was not lasting. Moses, when he received the law from God, was literally glowing with the glory of God on his face. So clearly it was something special about that covenant. However, the law, although it showed us how to please God, did not give us the power to do so. It showed us God's character and God's standard, but it also showed us and continues to show us how incapable we are of keeping his standard or, or reaching that standard. It condemns us. Now, again, when Moses received the law, his face shone with the glory of God on it. And the people of Israel were afraid because of that. And Moses ended up putting a veil over his face to cover the glow. And in uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul uses that idea of uh, covering this veil or the idea of the veil to explain the difference between the covenant of the law and the covenant of grace. And if we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 13 through 17, we'll see how he uh, breaks this down. And it reads... We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with the veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So what is this treasure that Paul is talking about? The treasure is having the veil removed and being able to see the glory of God through Jesus Christ. We have this treasure uh, in jars of clay, though, to show that the power of the gospel, the power of God is, is God's power and is not ours. Clay jars were commonplace in this setting. Not really much to look at, like in comparison to metal vessels, metal pots and things like that. They were fragile. 
And I believe that Paul is making this comparison, saying that we have this treasure, this the glory of God in these fragile pots to emphasize human weakness. What a thing for God to put such a great gift, his glory into such fragile, such a fragile container. And sometimes as clay jars, we may start to think too highly of ourselves. You know, we may forget that we're a clay pot. But having the true gospel on repeat within should remind us that we are just clay jars, that we're fragile and that the power we have belongs to God. And by his mercy, we can experience that power. So verse eight, we begin to see some of the struggle and some of the suffering that uh, Paul, well, Paul is going to be explaining some of the suffering when we get to verse eight. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So we are afflicted in every way, trouble, pressure, conflict in every direction. Paul even mentions later in his letter that he dealt with fear from within. So it's not just stuff from the outside, it's stuff going on on the inside as well. That reminds me of the fear that comes with standing on the truth in certain situations. We may have these internal battles that we have to fight. So Paul, Paul knew suffering. And from that, there's so much to learn, mainly that his close relationship with suffering brought him into a close relationship with the Lord. Also that he knew suffering, his suffering was not in vain, but for the building up of the body of Christ. So afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Although problems came from every direction, Paul was not completely crushed by them because he had the right perspective on his suffering. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three through six reads, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So they're being comforted by God and then in turn are able to comfort others. For we share abundantly, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So Paul came to learn that the more he experienced suffering for Christ's sake, the more he would experience the comfort of God. And also he knew that he suffered for the furthering of God's kingdom, bringing the gospel to people or to more people. Like he's going through trials and trying to spread this message. 
he will be able to have a true testimony of God, how God kept and empowered him to endure and how he comforted him through it all so that the people that he's speaking to would too trust and lean on God during their time of suffering. So he's living as an example, but he's also being comforted in himself. He says, perplexed, but not driven to despair. We may find ourselves, and I'm sure Paul found himself in situations where we don't know how we're going to make it out or don't know what to do. But the hope planted in us by God, the treasure that we carry around as believers, doesn't allow us to become hopeless. Jesus because our hope lies beyond whatever situation we're facing. Amen. So today I want to speak to you from the message title. Persecuted but not forsaken. And the risen life. Harassed and troubled in any way whatsoever for the faith. That's persecuted. Paul definitely had people after him because of his message. But he didn't feel forsaken or abandoned by God because of it. He actually says that because of the sufferings he faced, he was carrying with him the death of Christ. So the life of Christ might be known, made known in his body. And we'll look at that in a little bit. In chapter 11, he lists many of his sufferings, including imprisonment, many beatings, often near death. He got stoned, shipwrecked three times. He was adrift at sea for a day and a night. Danger from different people. He was hunted down, plotted on. In Acts 23, you can read about a group of over 40 men who made an oath that they would not eat until they killed Paul. So that's the type of pressure he was under. And eventually he was killed for his faith. Now, I don't know if we'll ever suffer the way that Paul did or even the way that people that our Christians suffer in other countries today. I don't know if we'll experience that. And that's not to say that our sufferings, whatever they may be, are not insignificant. Or I'm not saying that they are insignificant. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that with all that Paul went through for the sake of the kingdom of God, we can look to Paul's attitude towards suffering as an example of how to respond to suffering. And that's with our eyes on Christ. I'm going to take you through a few scriptures just to point this out in a couple of different ways. Now, we may not face the same type of suffering or persecution as Paul went through right now in America. But that doesn't make us exempt altogether. Although we currently have more freedom when it comes to free speech and religious practices, we are still bombarded with messages through all forms of media, government, schools, even jobs that are in direct opposition to our identity in Christ. And although there is still free speech, there are limitations on what we can and cannot say or what is deemed tolerant, or at least we have these limitations of what we can say and not be ostracized for our beliefs. 
as many or as these messages flow through the different channels, pressures come from all directions, tempting us to compromise on our beliefs. And I see this as a form of persecution. I guess I, I psychological, you know what I mean? Or emotional, possibly, or social. And all of this reminds me that the fact that we're in this climate, you know what I mean? It reminds me of how Peter describes Lot when he was in Sodom. Uh, if we look at 2 Peter chapter 2, 6 through 8, it says, Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. <clears throat> so he was tormented in his soul by the things he saw and heard. And this came to mind because sometimes, like in this climate, there's, there is free speech for us, but there's free speech for everybody else as well. You know what I mean? Um, so there's so many messages out there. A lot of them that are, as I said, contradicting our identity in Christ, contradicting what God says is true. And sometimes I worry that some of us are plugged into all of these messages that contradict God without any filter, not even aware of the constant attacks that come. Just listening to certain songs and looking at certain shows, movies, etc., you get the world's ideas of things like what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman or what love is, what love should be, what marriage should look like, what success is, what is happiness, all of these things, even who God is. My fear is that some may be in the line of fire of these messages and not even know it. And my heart is for people to have these lies on their radar to know when you're being persecuted. A lot was tormented by the evil in Sodom. But are we tormented by the things we see in here? Does it bother us? Are we aware of what God calls evil and do we agree with him? And I'm not talking about putting our heads in the sand and not knowing what's going on around you. I'm not talking about becoming Amish and cutting off all of your lines of communication and entertainment and all of that. I'm just talking about balance. We're called to be in the world and not of the world. So we have to ask ourselves, which side do we spend more of our time focused on? What type of entertainment takes up more of your time? Is it stuff that's edifying or, or not? If, and if it's not things that are edifying, things that are not pouring truth into us, are we bathing in, this, in, this, uh, in these messages? Do we challenge it? 
like within ourselves at least, if we're like, you know, I'm, I'm, I hear this, but I'm like, yeah, that's not true. Or am I just sitting in it? Do we passively receive lies or do we engage with them by calling them out, putting them against God's word to see what he has to say about these situations? We're in a we're in a spiritual war and we have to know that. Like you could we could be like a boxer has to know that he's in the ring. Or else you're just getting hit. It goes beyond entertainment, though. Like, that's big. That's important as well. But there are also so many wolves in sheep's clothing, just as the Lord said there would be. So many with crosses on their buildings, jumping on political bandwagons for different reasons, distorting and watering down God's word in order to reach the masses, telling people what they want to hear rather than what God has said. Now, Paul had many physical sufferings, but another area of suffering that weighed down heavily on Paul was knowing that his church had been buying into lies told to them by false apostles. So that was another area of suffering. Second Corinthians 11, three through four reads, But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you received or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. And if we, if we look uh, down to verse 28 through 29, he says, then besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who, who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? So that just adds to another one of Paul's suffering that he dealt with. But... um. I mean, that's from, I guess, a, a shepherd's perspective of suffering, but also let's think about the suffering we may not even be aware of by the things that we're taking in. Back to the context of the letter of 2 Corinthians. Paul, again, is... Oh, yeah, there it is. Paul is writing to dispute against false apostles who had infiltrated the church he planted after he left. It appeared that they were pointing to Paul's constant suffering, again, as a sign that he wasn't really from God. That someone who follows God wouldn't be going through such trials. That's basically what's said to be going on here. It's possible that those opposing Paul could have been pushing something similar to the healthy and wealthy gospel that we hear about today. The idea that Jesus will take all of your problems away. And this makes me think of the term blessing and how it gets thrown around at times to only represent when you're in a good position. Looking at what Paul is saying here, he has a completely different idea of blessing and what it means to be blessed. And Jesus did as well. If we look at Matthew chapter 5, 
10 through 12, Jesus says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. This just, it, it continues to blow my mind how, how opposite God's way of seeing things and doing things and the, the way God operates is completely opposite of the way we think. Like who would, verse 12 says, be happy about it. Be very glad. Not just a little bit happy. Be very glad that you're being persecuted for the sake of the kingdom. But on the surface, since, since a lot of times uh, we as humans look at the outside, the exterior, we wouldn't be believing that God is with somebody who's going through all these different things. We're like, how, why would you keep going if you're going through all of this? This doesn't make any sense. But here we see Jesus is telling you, like, this is God blesses you for that, for the sake of the kingdom when you're suffering. If anybody told you that walking with Christ would be easy, then they lied to you. Like Jesus never said that. You can look to Christ's life on earth and the fact that we are called to look like him and see that suffering is part of this deal called following Christ. While the message of health and wealth from false apostles may have sounded good up front, or even today it may sound good up front, it appeals to our natural desire to be comfortable. That sounds good up front, but lies are eventually brought to light. The truth eventually comes forth. Paul may have suffered, but he suffered for the truth. As Paul suffered, he had the kingdom on his mind. Jesus tells us that we are blessed when we suffer for his sake. And we are definitely not forsaken, as Paul has said. We may feel forsaken by man or forsaken by the world's comforts or pleasures, but we're not forsaken by God. We're blessed by him. Struck down but not destroyed. As Paul, as Paul <clears throat> excuse me, did, we may suffer some things that look like they should take us out. Or I guess in American terms, like maybe our careers ended, friends or social status lost. But if it is in God's will that we continue, he can preserve us and resurrect our health, our situations, and our situations to new life. And ultimately, we know that death, I said death, death is inevitable, like it's, it's part of life. But however, even if we are killed in our earthly bodies, we're not destroyed. If we're in, if we're in Christ, we're not destroyed. For we serve a risen Savior who death could not contain, and he will raise those who trust in him 
just as he was raised. Verse 10 of Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4 says, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made manifested in our bodies. It's made clear that Paul's constant carrying around of the suffering of Christ allowed him to continually experience the resurrection power of Christ. I think sometimes when we think of Christ, we just see, I don't, I don't know the proper term, but we just see the come up of Christ, the power of Christ, but we don't take the whole, his whole office of coming and dying for us. So Paul took the whole thing into account. Paul knew that it was God helping him to endure through trials, and he knew it was his calling to be comfort, <clears throat> excuse me, conformed to the image of Christ, not just in his resurrection, but also in the suffering and death of Christ. If we look at Philippians chapter 3, 8 through 11, it reads, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So we are called to be conformed to the image of Christ. I know we all like the part about him rising, you know what I mean, with all power in his hands, as I said, you know, but that's not all to it. In order to know the power of the resurrection, you have to experience the death, the suffering. In order for something to resurrect, it first has to die. Christ, who was God, walked in humility, so as should we. And Christ suffered for God's kingdom and his glory, as should we. But the suffering, if done for the Lord, isn't the end and it isn't in vain. And this isn't even for me, this isn't even me saying, like, I, I guess I have to make this clear, I'm not saying to be begging for pain, begging for suffering, you know? This is just about how we, how, what our perspective is on it, how we respond to it. And then in the closing of this passage, 2 Corinthians 4, 11 through 12, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So if we are afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down for the sake of Christ, our suffering is not in vain, for the glory of God can be seen through it. We ourselves are brought closer to God and learn to depend on him, as Paul stated in his letter. 
we learn more about who God is as we watch him empower us through tough, tough circumstances. We learn more and more to see him as father, deliverer, provider, comforter, place of safety, friend, savior, and Lord, and other titles I don't even have on my list right now. Not only that, but we are carrying around the treasure of the gospel. So we have all of these things. We experience him on these greater levels, but we're carrying around the treasure of the gospel that brings life. As we carry about the death and life of Christ with us, others can see it. They can see a clay jar that should be broken, but it's still held together. And we can tell the people we come into contact with that God is the one that kept us. We can share with them the life of Christ. As we suffer for Christ's sake, we bring glory to God, not only for our sake, but for the sake of others as well. Let's pray.